Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, we're about to make a bold statement. Of all the infrastructure out there, we think it's fair to say that bridges absolutely clean up in the paranormal department. Sure, you have your clowns in the storm drains, your phantoms messing with the electricity, your sasquatches picking off chickens straight from the coop. But we are hard-pressed to come up with a man-made utility that seems to attract more, shall we say, odd stuff than the humble bridge. There's Goatman on bridges, bridges frequented by the Mothman, and Jeff Bridges, who will count honorarily as a cryptid because he has earned it. If you've been listening for long enough, strangers, you'll recall that we've discussed a few bridges in our time, and today we return to the realm of crossing rivers and connecting roads to visit a bridge in Stowe, Vermont. Stowe is a small town due east of Burlington, Vermont. It'd take you about 40 minutes to get there by car. This is a nook of the country where, no matter where you are, you're perpetually nestled in the trees and closer to Canada than to the eastern seaboard. Nowadays, Stowe describes itself as a, quote, four-season destination, which just sounds like a destination to us, but the main attraction looks to be a very Vermonty ski resort and a cute mountain town on its periphery. It all looks very nice, and so does the Stowe Hollow Bridge. Per the Associated Press, this bridge is a covered one. Picture a barn-like roof over a trestled bridge. It's little and located on Hollow Road, hence the name. Photos make it look like it stands alone among the forest and farmland, spanning a creek and a pretty shallow dip in the forest floor. Who built this bridge? That's unclear, but according to the Burlington Free Press, it was erected sometime in 1844. And in fact, if we're having a covered bridge competition, which let's just say that we are, Vermont is probably the winner. 
Among Vermont's 117 covered bridges, there are many with legends attached. So, our bridge in Stowe Hollow is in good company. But, Stowe Hollow isn't the name by which a Vermonter or a paranormal enthusiast might know this bridge. See, the Stowe Hollow covered bridge is also known as Emily's Bridge, and it is, in fact, haunted by Emily. An Associated Press article dated January 31, 1969, is the earliest record we have of this legend, but as is so often the case, it seems to have been well-established lore for a long time before the national press caught on. It doesn't appear that there was any particular reason for this story to run. As we said, it was January, which isn't exactly spooky season. But nonetheless, the AP decided that it was time to discuss this ghost, which the locals call Emily. Quote, Old-timers say that the ghost is the spirit of a young woman left waiting at the altar around the turn of the century. Legends say that the woman, looking for her elusive lover, headed for his home near the covered bridge on Hollow Road. Her horse bolted throwing her to her death on the rocks below the bridge. Now, there are variations on that story, as there always are. Some of that is in the timeline. A few accounts put Emily's demise at the end of the 19th century and others into the 1920s. The Burlington Press wrote that in some variations, Emily died before her wedding day, and in others, her fiancé did not leave her at the altar. Not exactly. Quote, other townsfolk say the bridegroom jumped to his death from the bridge on the couple's wedding day. In this version, Emily died second, but could not manage to reunite with her beloved in the afterlife. The Rutland Daily Herald also mentions a story wherein, quote, an Emily and her swain were approaching the bridge when a buggy wheel hit an exposed rock. The couple, thrown from the carriage, were injured. They sued the town collected, got married, and supposedly lived happily ever after. Now, we'll be frank. We are not sure how a non-lethal injury would lead to haunting a bridge after a long life unrelated to said bridge, but perhaps it's not for us to know. So in any case, the AP surmises that the woman's spirit continued to linger around the bridge, looking, and she was not exactly a social butterfly. Quote, people who have tried to build houses near the bridge have been frightened off by the apparition, it is said. Honestly, if we'd had a ruined wedding and then been bucked by our own horse, we'd be in a nasty mood too. And by all accounts, Emily was not just out to shut down real estate developments in her neighborhood. She was also known to harass people who were just passing through, which was a lot of people given the purpose of a bridge. The Times Argus compiled a great set of testimonials from people who'd encountered Emily. One such account came from a young couple, the Marshfields, who visited the bridge in the late 1970s. They told the Argus that they stopped by the bridge on a summer picnic in Stowe. The weather was beautiful, and their four-year-old son was playing happily. But, as the couple told the Argus, it was pleasant, until, well, it wasn't. Quote, Although it was a sunny summer day, suddenly it turned black. We got in the car to leave, but there seemed to be a fog inside the bridge. Branches started falling from the trees, and the fog turned into a human form. We didn't dare cross the bridge. We just sat in the car, 
Her face had a smile. She was wearing a long white gown. As suddenly as it happened, it stopped. We'll never go back. And a local historian told the Argus that he was out riding horses with a friend when a thunderstorm blew in. They took cover under Emily's bridge. And as they sat there, quote, We heard whispering voices, very clearly. We went down the road a couple of miles and then turned back toward the bridge. The complete left side was aglow with what seemed to be strobe lights flickering on and off. And a local photographer told the Argus he'd been taking pictures of the pastoral landscape on a boiling hot summer day. But as he walked across the bridge, he felt a sudden chill. There was a tap on his shoulder. The whole ghost shebang. And that photographer was familiar with Emily's story. And he knew why she might not have been happy to see him. Quote, I'll never forget that experience. Glad she didn't do me in. I've heard she doesn't like men. If indeed Emily had been left at the altar, well, we'd understand her sentiment. Also understandable is Emily's seeming distaste for couples, which, again, in her ghostly shoes, we get it. In one account in the Argus, two young couples carpooled out to the bridge one night, hoping that they could spot the ghost. They didn't spot anything, but they did eventually hear something, the sound of scratching metal. Startled by the noise, the couples fled, and the next morning, it became clear that something had scratched the car, probably on purpose, as the scratches completely covered the trunk. In 1996, the Rutland Daily Herald wrote that the sightings had not abated. Quote, Not long ago, a local man named Vaughn was at Stowe Hollow, sitting in a car with some friends. As he peered into the dark cavern of the bridge, he saw a filmy white light shaped like a woman. Everyone was convinced it was Emily. Vaughn's party locked the car doors in an attempt to hunker down, but Emily didn't seem to know or mind. Quote, For a while, the form hovered there as if it was simply observing them. Then it began to move again, slowly circling the vehicle. At some point, Vaughn says, it reached out and grabbed the door handle and began shaking the car. Eventually, the shaking stopped and the form vanished, and Vaughn and his friends were able to start their car again and get out of Stowe Hollow. Emily naturally stayed back. Strangers, it probably won't surprise you to learn that Emily is still sighted with some regularity to this day. Per the Vermonter, if not in the form of a human-shaped specter, sometimes in the shape of an odd light. An orb, you might say. We're not going to dive into the wonderful world of orbs right now. For one, it's too complicated. And for another thing, we do hope to someday run a full episode on this phenomenon. But suffice to say, an orb is a manifestation of a ghost. Sometimes, when one sees weird lights, they're orbs. Sometimes, they're non-orb lights. It's one of those, you-know-it-when-you-see-it sort of things. And see it, some people do. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. 
The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900 plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring first-hand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Helpfully, one of the articles that we read actually pointed us toward the online reviews of Emily's Bridge from visitors. And those reviews are a goldmine. On Google, we found a review of the bridge from a woman named Tia, who apparently visited just a few months ago. Here's what she wrote. When my friend and I were there, we got a good look around. We definitely would have noticed this rope hanging on the rafter. It wasn't there in person, but it showed up in the photo. Same with the face I caught multiple times. But I also had a dream where a girl named Emily came to me and told me to warn people not to go there. And then I woke up with scratch marks. So I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe a coincidental dream, or maybe it's something we shouldn't ignore. Up to you to decide. And yes, strangers, Tia did include photos of said rope and said face, which, to be fair, do look like a real rope and pretty facey, respectively. In 2021, a user named Paul posted a flash photo from inside the bridge at night with the following blurb. 
cool little covered bridge with quite a backstory. Got there after nightfall and waited around, watching and listening for anything paranormal. Ended up with a picture that, depending on your beliefs, had an apparition in it. We'll head back again on a warm summer's night, with a full moon. Again, strangers, we hate to be those guys, but there's not, not an apparition. If dust on a road that's piled up kind of weirdly and looks a little like a lady in a dress counts as an apparition. Though she did not include photos, a user named Karen wrote in 2022, the scenery is very pretty in this area. While I didn't feel a spiritual presence, after driving through the bridge, my traction control light turned on and off, which my car has never done before. And eight months ago, a local named Jamie wrote, I went with my boyfriend around 1am. When we exited the car, we heard a horse-drawn wagon crossing the bridge. A super crazy experience. That does, in fact, sound like an experience. We understand, strangers, that leaning on second-hand experiences of others isn't exactly good journalism, nor do we expect it to be 100% convincing. But we are certainly convinced that people believe that something is haunting this bridge. And isn't that enough to make it, on some level, true or true-ish? Well, it might be, except for one strange thing. There are some serious holes in the Emily's Bridge lore. And maybe most seriously, there's someone who claims to have made the whole thing up. To explain all this, it's necessary for us to dive into the blogosphere. You see, the local media in Vermont hasn't picked up on this one yet. At least, not as far as we can tell. In October of 2012, a blog called Obscure Vermont run by someone named Chad Abramovich, claimed that the Emily's Bridge legend could be traced back to one woman, a local named Nancy Wolfstead. Apparently, Chad got this information from an author named Joe Citro, who we've actually mentioned on the show before. In any case, Joe did some digging and shared what he'd found with Chad, that the Emily's Bridge story originated in the 1970s as a small act of nimbyism. Per Obscure Vermont, quote, a woman by the name of Nancy Wolfstead claimed that she was the one who created the story of Emily to scare local youth. There was a swimming hole somewhere near Stowe. She remembers making up the story of the bridge to amuse the kids. She was also the one who came up with the name Emily. Another post on a different blog, written by one Amy Bennett, editorializes this allegation a little more. Quote, a homeowner close to the bridge by the name of Nancy Wolfstead had been dealing with numerous disrespectful people partying at a swimming hole near it for a while. There was likely noise, vandalism, and trash left behind, and this bothered her and other locals enough to create a ghost story intended to scare the partiers away. And get this, strangers. When we were perusing random people's reviews of the bridge, we also found a photo of the historical placard that's posted near the bridge right now. And in the placard's brief section about the Emily legend, this alternative story is mentioned, albeit briefly. All of these sources point out that the 1970s were a hotbed of fears of the occult, demon possession, and the like, the suggestion being, of course, that folks were much more susceptible toward belief under those circumstances. 
children and teens especially might have been more willing to believe a ghost story from an irritated neighbor. Now, a point in favor of this story is that there is no real evidence of an Emily who met a tragic end on or around this bridge. As we've told you, the story of who she was varies a lot. There's never been any suggestion of who Emily might have been in life, and according to the Vermonter, there are no records of a death investigation involving the bridge. Not ever. So, that is problematic. But, on the other hand, we can personally debunk the notion that this story cropped up in the 1970s. Remember when we told you about the first news article we found in our archives? The one that dated back to January of 1969, with no mention of Nancy Wolfstead, or a new rumor among youths of Stowe, but rather a reference to a long-running, many-years-old local legend about Emily's Bridge. Now, sure, the age of that myth could have been embellished in the papers, but if it was established enough for the Associated Press to write about it in January of 1969, that certainly points to this story predating the 70s by a good bit. Of course, this only raises more questions. Maybe the story of Nancy Wolfstead is totally accurate, but someone got the dates wrong along the way. Perhaps she's become associated with the legend through some kind of confusion, or maybe there's some hoax-on-hoax hoax inception that, to be honest, we can't begin to sort out. If the story truly predates any association with a disgruntled neighbor, we have the same mysteries to address. Where did the legend begin, and why can't anyone track down a real-life Emily? And none of that even addresses the various experiences that people have had on this bridge. In this episode, we've discussed 50 years worth of strange testimonials about Emily's bridge. Some of those could be hogwash, of course, but all of them, plus the many others that we haven't had time to mention, that feels a little more unlikely to us. There's an old saying, strangers, about smoke suggesting fire. We're not saying that there's definitely a salty old spirit rattling around a covered bridge in Vermont, but there are certainly some very weird things happening out there, whatever the reason. It's hardly our place to designate truth from fiction, from fiction made manifest, from where we're standing. Or, let's be real, from where we're sitting. But we can plot out a trip to Vermont, maybe for once the season of the sticks abates. And... If you're game too, and perhaps if you even want to visit Stowe, well, just don't tell Emily that we sent you. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Strangers, I've released my first book, and it's available everywhere now as audio, hardcover, and ebook. I read the audio version myself. It's called Lay Them to Rest, and it's about John and Jane Doe's, my years-long experiences following forensic experts around the country, and our efforts to solve the mystery of a cold case. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. 
on Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get the bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for $2 more a month on Patreon, you'll get more fun extras. There you'll find an ad-free early release of all of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes, monthly giveaways, blog posts, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these options to support the show. There's a link in our show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps. <laughs>